This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on Sirius XM. Welcome back. I'm Professor America Reed, founding member of the Four Horsemen of Marketing, a.k.a. the Ric Flair of Biz Radio. Today, woo, I've got the style and profile like never before. This is Sirius XM's Business Radio Channel 132, powered, of course, by the Wharton School. Barbara's not in today, so I'm here by myself riding shotgun with your boy, A.R. That's your role today here at the magnificent institution called Wharton. We invented the concept of the business school, ladies and germs. We create the knowledge that they write about in their cases. We went to Wharton, and we saw you coming a mile away. Interestingly, we are not only investment bankers. We are also consultants, strategists, entrepreneurs, real estate gurus, management leaders, and, of course, marketers, where marketing is the glue that connects each of these areas to their clients. If you like what you're hearing, Marketing Matters airs live every Wednesday from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it's replayed several times throughout the week. I'm happy to welcome our next guest to the program. This is Kristen Flor Pere, Senior Vice President of Global Marketing at We Communication. Welcome to the program, Kristen. Okay, welcome to the program. Hi, Kristen. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Happy, um, I don't even know what day it is, Wednesday. It's, it's the hump day, Kristen. I mean, we got to get excited about the fact that the week is almost over, yes? Excellent. Yeah, so welcome to the program. I'm super excited to have you on the program to talk about a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I was looking through some of the preliminary work with associated with the Brands in Motions, uh, Brands in Motion 2018 Global Study, uh, we'll talk about that uh, in just uh, a little bit. Uh, and so, uh, before I do that, though, I would like to just sort of pause and sort of take you through, or take allow you to take my listeners through your particular journey, so they can get a sense of who you are and your narrative, your backstory. So, if you could just sort of take us through your path, that would be pretty cool. Sure. Um, since we're going to talk about brands in motion, I think the first thing that I would hit is that I'm a brand in motion. I'm very proud to say <laughs> that I'm 50 years old. Excellent. Um, 50 and, years young, you mean, you know, Kristen? Well, 50 years young. Yes, of And course. the reason that you're talking to me today is that throughout my career, I've pushed to remain relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, I started out my career, um, the world was very different in terms of marketing and PR. And there was this idea of, hey, there's a soapbox, we're going to stand up, we're going to say something, and then you're all going to listen. And that's the way that communication happened, and it was very stagnant. And, you know, we fast forward to 30 years later, and we're in a place that's very dynamic, that has more channels and more content than we could ever imagine. And so where has my journey taken me? I started out brand side. So I spent my career working for some big brands, like mm-hmm. Revlon would be one of those brands. Oh, wow. And did it on the floor, did hand selling, understood mm-hmm. a consumer and how you could influence a consumer to take the next action. So mm-hmm. whether it be purchase, consider, um, completely shift categories. And so once you fundamentally understand what consumers need mm-hmm. and require to make a switch or to change behavior, um, I then went to uh, the agency world, and mm-hmm. so I started out in above-the-line advertising and worked in that for about a decade and did everything from those little tiny kits in a box that you send out, the B2B to communications, to big, massive launches, and I've done that um, across the globe through, for a variety of different clients, mm-hmm. um, some of them probably some of the biggest brands that are still on the planet today. Wow. And then in my last uh, kind of 10 years, I flipped over and said, you know what? 
I really like the idea of marketing agencies and figuring out how they can get the word out and truly onboard clients that they can collaborate with, that they can grow together, because it's an incredible investment Mm -hmm. for an agency to onboard a client. And if it doesn't go well, then both the brand loses and the agency loses, Mm. and there's not a win-win there. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, in this world, we need to have that collaboration where both those sides are working together, and that's becoming even more apparent uh, today as we look at how fast remits are turning and and people Mm. are making decisions about where they want to spend their time and what sort of agency partners they want. I love this point that you're making, uh, Kristen. I want to take it back to kind of the first area because I'm constantly trying to help students here at the university uh, kind of rebrand this the, the notion of sales. I love the fact that you were sort of on the floor doing the thing with the customers. And people sometimes say, well, you know, doing sales. Like, absolutely. I mean, the way I see it, Kristen, it's critical, right? It's a, to, to, to live it, breathe it, do it with the consumer. That's when you learn, right? You don't learn in the, in the tower in your office, in the corner office, trying to figure out what consumers are doing. You have to be there, right? Correct. There's a really good book that I would recommend the students to read. It's by Paco Underhill, and it's called Why We Buy, Mm -hmm. and really understanding the science of shopping. And it talks about a lot of that, because if you understand consumers, and there's things that are innate because we're human beings, and how we operate in a physical world, Mm -hmm. that translates to what we can accomplish in a digital world. Mm -hmm. Because human behavior doesn't necessarily change dramatically. There are things that we'll talk about, I mean, powers of persuasion and you know, other tri- tips and tricks that we can use. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what we go through and how we process to make a decision to move to the next step is the same in the physical world as the online world. And the best way to do that in real time, where you're not just looking at a bunch of spreadsheets, is be in a live environment mm-hmm. and watch consumers track mm-hmm. them. Understand, you know, we go to a grocery store every day. Why is there that end cap with all those impulse buys, mm-hmm. you know, as we watch out? Mm-hmm. Now look at what Amazon does when you're about ready to, you know, go out of your cart. Mm-hmm. So physical world and online world are very closely tied. Mm. And it's really important to, I believe, for anyone to have a sales job mm-hmm. and the art of customer service. I agree. You know, do you understand how to deal with a conflict and have a smooth resolution of that? Mm -hmm. Or is this something that you don't have the skill because the same thing, again, translates in client agency relationships Mm -hmm. and with consumers' relationships with brands? And so obviously you're a passionate marketer, Kristen. How, How did you get excited about being in this world of marketing and communications? How did I get excited? Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything else that interests me. Mm. When I was growing up, I was that person when I was four or five years <laughs> okay. old. I was reading Vogue magazine. Gotcha. And I just looked at it and I was like, wow, this is so cool. Uh-huh. But I wanted to understand the anthropology behind it mm. and really get to the why. Mm-hmm. You know, why was this being done and what was the outcome? Mm-hmm. And so it's just something that fascinated me. And I always saw it as like, you know, probably, you know, how everybody looks now at the Dom Draper, like sexy mm. advertising world. I was like, I want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. And retail, I mean, if you're, if you're 18 and you go to go into a mall and you look at it and you're just like, all this stuff is really flashy and really interesting. It's like, why do the customers walk to the right versus the left? It just mm-hmm. fascinated me. Mm-hmm. So I think I, I love human beings mm-hmm. and I want to understand, as I said, why we do what we do. I love this point that you're making. I try to always really encourage the students, Kristen, to go out there and become like the Jane Goodall, if you will, uh, of Correct. the marketing world and just go live amongst the consumers, if you will, study them and really try to go deeper into that black box and try to figure out that why. I love that point that you're making. Let's turn to the uh, Brands in Motion 
motions, uh, brands in motion, excuse me, 2018 global study. Tell us a little bit about why you did this survey. Sure. Um, as I was giving you my bio and I talked about that I came from brand side and then I went to advertising and I went to PR. And I'm, as I said, I'm you know now in, at a point in my life that I have the ability to make the decision about where I want to be and what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I was really looking for an agency that I could be at for a number of years and I thought was you know trying to do something really exciting. Mm-hmm. And I came to Week Communications because it was a female-found, female-led. Oh, that was very important to me. That's cool. And the fact that they work with some of the biggest brands on the planet and they put people at the core of everything that they do. And so it is people over profit. So this is a company that is built on values mm. and does incredibly smart work for amazing brands. And to be able to continue to do that is investing in their people and their intellectual property. Mm-hmm. So coming on board and saying, hey, I want to work with an agency. I want to help them punch through and get to the next level and really grow their awareness and reputation mm-hmm. across the globe. I was excited to see a company that was investing really, really heavy in research to grow their intellectual mm-hmm. property. Mm-hmm. And one of the big questions that's out there that everybody was trying to answer is, in this world that we're talking about that's swirling and moving so quickly, how do we then counsel brands? How do we build communications plans to help them get where they want in a world that's no longer stagnant? Mm -hmm. And to be able to do that, you first have to quantify that motion and be able to give counsel around what it is. And so this survey is about quantifying that motion and allowing brands to see that there may be a delta between their particular brand or their category and the consumer perception. And what are those things that affect the consumer's perception of that brand? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of, and I was referencing that book by Paco Underhill, and we've probably, you probably talked to your students a lot about this, mm-hmm. is sitting up in, in this ivory tower and making decisions in the conference room. If you don't really go out there and speak to the consumers and understand what's, what they're thinking and why they're driving, then you have a half-baked strategy on anything. Mm-hmm. And that's what this survey was really about, was going out and figuring out you know, why the brands are in motion and then the counsel and the key points that we could tell, um, tell our clients as a result of it. And so how did, you, how, did, how did you and your colleagues, Kristen, identify the brands that you wanted to include as part of the survey? Great question. Um, we identified the brands through, first of all, looking at our core business, mm-hmm. and then the business that we aspirationally wanted to have. Oh, interesting. And then matching that up in terms of looking at across the globe, like what are the key industries that most people are talking about? I see. So we went and said, we're, you know, an office, we have 23 offices across the world. These are our key markets. These brands are the players in them. And then making sure that we spread that across the various categories. So we went to eight markets mm. and we went to 90 brands Excellent. Um, and asked uh, 27, just about 27,000 people, nice. uh, mostly consumers, but also B2B okay. across these eight categories. So B2B, B2C, approximately, that's a very nice uh, sample size, 27,000 folks who answered uh, questions in eight markets about 90 different brands, correct? Correct. Very, very cool. And so take us through some of the key ideas uh, that emerged from the analysis. Absolutely. I I think there's three key takeaways, so I'll ramble them off and then I'll go into them in detail. Excellent. If you have questions about it. Okay. So the first one is this 
idea of innovation meets ethics. So that's oh. the first idea. Okay. The second is really proof over promise. And then the third is this idea of polarized consumers. Okay. So those were the main themes that came out of the survey. Okay. So I'll start with innovation meets ethics. Okay. Um, so you've probably experienced this and you're seeing this in terms of how you interact with brands and everything that's coming across all of your various speeds and feeds. Hmm. And that consumers right now have incredibly high expectations of how brands will use technology to make their lives better. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. So consumers want things faster. They want things that are more convenient, all of those pieces. Mm-hmm. Layer over the top of that, all this concept of fear that's coming around this disruptive right. tech. Mm-hmm. And they're responding and they're saying, wait a minute, okay, what's more important to me? Is it innovation or is it really that you're doing good for me? Mm. And what they said in terms of the survey, and this is a huge number if you look at surveys, is that 97% said that brands are responsible for their own ethical use of technology. Interesting. So this is the Very literally, this is, that's 97% of a, a bunch of people, Kristen, saying that right. literally, the you know, the buck stops here. And what they're saying, and this is where brands should stand up and take notice, the additional follow-up question to that is 94% said if a brand can't do it, then the government should step in oh, wow. and make sure this happens. And we're seeing this happen across the globe right now. If you look at what's going on in terms of Germany, you look at what's happening in the UK, mm-hmm. we can talk about what's happening here in the United States. Mm-hmm. So this demand for regulation Interesting. Uh, is, is something that the survey was pointing out incredibly crystal clear what mm. the expectations of consumers are. So yeah, I want to have tech. I think it's important, but don't compromise me. Interesting. That 94%, Kristen, is absolutely fascinating to me. And that holds irrespective of, uh, let's say, political ideology, like conservatives versus liberals, or how does that break out? Is this, we does... did not uh, segment the survey by any sort of gotcha. uh, okay. Okay. political point of view. Right. We just looked at it as the swath of, of, you know, we can do it by age and we could do sure, it by sure. Male, female. What I think is super interesting about that, though, is even though you know it wasn't necessarily captured in the in the survey because of the large number and probably general population uh, sample, you know that both conservatives and liberals are in there, and you're still getting this unbelievable number, right? Correct. As we were saying, consumers have spoken, and this is absolutely something that I would go out on a limb and say they are demanding for brands now. And so this idea of tech, I want to make sure that, that I'm clear on this, Kristen. So when we say uh, we want to make sure that tech is being used ethically, which is your point about innovation meets ethics in this first pillar, if you will, of the study, that, that, are we talking about tech being used in terms of uh, you know protecting my privacy and not harming me that way, or are we talking about tech being used in terms of making sure that the world is somehow, myself and the world included, somehow uh, made better, almost like a social impact type of promise, or is it all of the above? How does that break down uh, in terms a really of ethics? that's a really good question, yeah. and I think I would frame it a little bit differently. Okay. So there are three things that consumers care about right now. So if you look at it across the globe, and I am making a decision, and I'm making a decision about, about what I'm going to purchase, mm-hmm. first and foremost, 
I want to know that the product works. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we could lump innovation into that. So is it doing what you've promised me to do? Mm-hmm. So am I, is it going to be faster? Is it going to be lighter? Um, is it going to make my life easier? So at the core, does the product work? Mm-hmm. Then if we look at the next thing that a consumer is asking about, is this done ethically? So those were all the things that you just mentioned. Am I safe? Is my data safe? Um, Mm -hmm. Is this technology, if I'm using it, going to keep me safe or anyone else that I'm using that technology with? Mm -hmm. So, for example, self-driving cars. Mm -hmm. So that's the second thing that consumers are looking at. And then the third, which there's a lot of conversation right now, is this idea of purpose. Mm. and that something is, is an idea that's bigger than profit. Um, and so at the end of the day, consumers want all those three. Now, as sophisticated marketers, we know that it's a, impossible mm-hmm. to go out and give counsel and deliver on all of those three messages at one time. So the question comes back into how do I then counsel a brand and give them good advice around what message they should be disseminating at what time? Mm. And So a lot of that goes back to saying, okay, we're in this world of motion that we're talking about, and different things are influencing the consumer perception. So a brand needs to have all three of those ready Mm. and be able to deploy any of those messages when appropriate based on the context of what's happening when they're communicating. So just to recap, Um, sorry, just to recap, Kristen, for our listeners, uh, number one, have to be. uh, this is like the table stakes. The product has to work, right? The functions, the features, the promise, and what it does has to deliver that. That's number one. If you go back and think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm. that's the base at the bottom mm-hmm, of the pyramid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And number two, ethically, making sure that I'm safe, my data is safe, that the, I'm not being harmed, others aren't being harmed in, in the provision of these consumer products and goods and services. And then the third being purpose, which is a much more, that's something to use the Maslowian uh, metaphor there. Uh, that's kind of the self-actualization piece, if you will. Correct. Right. And so the, and so right. those, those three, th- you're saying then that the thesis that comes from your analysis says those three things are critical components that have to be or you should be as a as a brand you should be ready to deploy your resources across these different types of messages to be able to communicate effectively and build that bond with your consumer yes right so if we go back and we look at it and we can use the the example that a lot of people have talked about so it's very famous we can look about what nike did Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and last fall (laughs) yes yes and nike was able to go out and stand up for something that some people would seem was controversial, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So they they opened their, their fall campaign in the middle of football season, and they said, you know what? We're going to go up and we're going to stand behind a very famous athlete because we believe in what he is doing. Mm-hmm. And it was very much the core of what their brand is around. Now, Nike could not have done that and had the success if they didn't have the products that they have Mm -hmm. that are out in the marketplace that people already wanted to buy, Mm -hmm. nor that they weren't treating their customers, as we're saying, ethically. Mm -hmm. So they had the ability to lean up, lean in, Mm -hmm. and have that stability in a time where there was a lot of turmoil because they met those first two needs of the consumer. If they hadn't, I don't believe, you know, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. easy to couch quarterback. I don't <laughs> believe that the the campaign would have landed as well as it did and had the financial impact that it did. Mm-hmm. And what I also love about that point that you're making, Kristen, is that I think inherent in this, your point about the third pillar, which is purpose, inherent in this is to say that you're going to make a very diligent decision about 
who you're going to talk to and who you're not going to talk to, right? Who this message right. is going to re- resonate to. And you're okay with that. You're okay with this, mes- this message not resonating with everybody, right? Correct. You have to realize that the fact that I gave you a study that said 97% of people, that's really rare when you go out and do something. So you can't please all the people all the time. But what is it in terms of where your brand is going? And Nike was incredibly confident in saying, you know what? We understand our consumers. We understand our employee base. Mm-hmm. And we understand the athletes that stand up you know, and support our brand. And this is important to us. So it was a very natural thing for them to do. Very cool. Listeners, if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Kristen Floor Perret, Senior Vice President of Global Marketing at We Communications. Uh, Kristen has worked agency side, brand side, and as a consultant to deliver integrated communications across earned, paid, and experiential aspects for some of the biggest B2B and B2C brands on the planet, including Microsoft, Amazon, Cisco, Toyota, Nestle, Nike, and many, many more. If you're interested in joining this conversation with Kristen and myself, please feel free to give us a call at one 844-WARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Now, Kristen, I want to turn to, that was a very nice analysis and summary of the innovation meets ethics. Let's turn to proof over promise. Proof over promise, and that's pretty self-explanatory. So at the end of the day... <laughs> show don't tell, huh? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> we're, right. We're, yeah, we're saying show don't tell. That's, mm-hmm. that's what it is. And so it's if we go back and we look at you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs, at the end of the day is my product really working? And what consumers are tired of, consumers are tired of talk, 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 and then not actually having the product deliver Mm -hmm. what you say it's going to deliver. And so we talk a lot about this in terms of uh, transparency and authenticity around Mm -hmm. the brand Mm -hmm. and that being able to communicate something in close to real time Mm -hmm allowing the consumer's transparency as to what's really going on or not going on and uh, speaking to them as intelligent consumers is what they're demanding. Mm-hmm. And so I love this point, though, because as you're developing, you know, you're trying to interweave these aspects of the right communication, Kristen, uh, to your consumers, uh, and you're trying to do it in a way that really engenders within them a very strong sense of authenticity. What are some of the ways that you might misstep in doing that? Uh, bots. So mm. if you have bots answering all of your communication and it's a rope and they're not really understanding the nuances of what's going on, mm-hmm. uh, making claims that you can't you know, stand behind. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also instances within a lot of brands where you may have gone down a path and you thought you were doing something this way because of the data that was presented to you at the time, but then something happens and it shifts and you never go back and, you know, you know say, actually, I was wrong. That's not what was going on. Mm-hmm. And we now see this and we're moving forward, you know, in this direction. And so I love this point that you're making, though, because... You know, it seems as though, and you can say that to, or you know, kind of counsel our listeners on the extent to which this was found in the in the survey, Kristen, uh, and that is this idea that talk a little bit about how these issues are even much more amplified because of the dynamic nature in which consumers are actually a part of this experience. Well, two things. They are a part of the experience that helps you co-create what this brand is all about. And they are not just, to your point, I love the original idea that you said where communication used to be a one-way street, now it's a two-way street. And so they can literally be a part of 
undermining your communication effort because they have an entire social network who really trust what they say. And so, you know, you can spend all this time messaging beautiful, slick ads or whatever. And if you're not delivering off on the authenticity piece, you know, you have a problem if consumers see that sort of disconnect and they act on it, let's say, in the social media world. What are your thoughts on that? Right. And that you're actually beautifully setting up my next point of polarized consumers. Mm -hmm. And so if we look at the world right now, it seems to be that there are people that are sitting, and you use the example, right or left, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. one extreme or another extreme. This idea of middle and people sitting in a middle, uh, unfortunately, from my point of view, is disintegrating from our conversations. Mm. And the things that are getting through and are getting people's attention is this idea of love mm-hmm. and hate, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. good or bad, mm-hmm. us versus them. Mm-hmm. And so because of the polarization, it's harder for us to get a certain type of messages out there mm-hmm. because what they're responding to, what consumers are responding to are these, you know, as we said, very polarizing things that are coming up and they have a visceral emotional reaction to it mm-hmm. as opposed to, hey, I'm going to go to my calm, rational mind. I'm actually going to think about this because as human beings, we go back and forth between our emotional mind mm-hmm. and our rational mind all the time. And as marketers, we need to understand that. And the challenge is in the environment that we're living in right now, it's only playing, or I should say, predominantly mm-hmm, playing mm-hmm, towards mm-hmm. that emotional, you know, idea of ourselves. And that's the type of communication that is breaking through. Mm. So consumers are more polarized and they either want to love someone or shame <laughs> someone yeah, and they'll yeah. flip. And so like, I, what, what I... I just absolutely, this is super interesting to me, uh, Kristen, because as I, there's a lot of new research coming out now that basically shows that when people make a decision that is based on emotion as opposed to kind of a rational process, that decision that is the outcome of an emotional process feels more like it's their kind of conclusion, it belongs to me, this is my idea, because in some senses the emotionality almost lubricates a sense of of the, the robustness of how that thing is part of who I am. And so this is a very important point from the polarization piece, uh, also in terms of the research that shows that people just feel like when you're on, when you're so polarized, it's really saying something about who you are as opposed to being kind of in the middle. And so there's an, there's an emotional and identity interplay here that I think is very interesting from a psychological perspective. So how can brands, in the research that you've done with the survey, how can brands understand this potential polarization challenge and then rise to be able to make sure that they're uh, able to effectively communicate in that context? Well, it, it comes back to you know a couple key things, trust, responsibility, innovation, Uh, vision and future proof. I mean, those are, as we're saying, those are the things that consumers are constantly looking at and doing that through the lens of consumers and having the the transparency and not sitting up in the ivory tower (laughs) and really listening Mm -hmm. and understanding what's affecting them and what it is that they care about as opposed to playing into that polarization that's happening. We could could talk about this. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an ex- example. Okay. So if we're going out and we're we're marketing 
we'll, we'll just say uh, a tech device. Mm-hmm. And we want to go out and we want to land a story and we want to talk about the fact that this is a faster um, processing speed, that the screen is larger, and that, you know, the battery, you know, life is X amount. It's really hard for us to get through that message when everyone is talking about, let's just say, um, what's going on with our administration mm. or the latest environmental uh, impact. So what we have to do is be able to tell rich stories to the consumers so that they can understand that the brand has more for them than just the actual mm. product that's there. And we are building a relationship with the brand. Mm-hmm. What I love about this... that rich uh-huh. storytelling that then people will, will understand and build that lasting impression of brand loyalty, which is so fleeting these days. Yeah, I, I love this this transformation of or trying to reimagine the notion of we're not really branding, we're actually trying to bond. It's, it's not branding, but bonding, if you will, creating relationships, creating deeper sorts of connections. Now, tell me a little bit about Kristen. Tell me a little bit, because I'm reading here um, that you mentioned that the survey was conducted across 90 brands in several different industries, such as automotive, computing devices, finance and banking, food and beverage, health and wellness, et cetera. Were there some interesting, like, uh, industry-specific kinds of things that you found that were noteworthy? I think there's a, a lot of uh, things, and we would be able to talk for a couple hours. Um, <laughs> I think one thing, if I was I was going to pull something out, mm-hmm. and what I want your consumers to understand, mm-hmm. is that we are in a global economy, and we sell products across the globe. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. does not mean that consumers' perception for that product is the same across the globe. And so the one thing we would want to counsel is that you really need to understand that if I was a person, we'll just use an example, and I was buying a car in North America, mm-hmm. my point of view about the automotive industry and um, the brands that are there would be very different if I was sitting in China. Uh, it's a very different marketplace. Right. Not just from the t- how you buy a car, which is a very different experience, Um but what other things are affecting that in terms of my ability to purchase and what I feel about the brand? Mm-hmm. So what was the most interesting when you go out and you look at it and you start looking at all of these categories and the finding is that there are differences region by region and from brand to brand. So we could use an example, for example, of smart home tech. So smart home tech was a brand that you know, had a lot of love in terms of the survey. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, thought that, that there, were, there was a lot to like about, um, about smart home tech in the United States. So if we look at the maturity of the market across the globe, the love affair that is happening with smart home tech in the United States mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily translate right, across right. the globe to every other market mm-hmm. because there are hurdles. There's hurdles in terms of, you know, G5. There's hurdles right. in terms of the devices that are available, the time in the marketplace. And so, you know, is this, if we look at, go back to like Roger's curve of innovation, you know, mm-hmm. that everybody always cites, right. like, is this an early adopter? Is this a late adopter in those points? And so going out and understanding that I may have to message things differently along those hierarchy of those three things that we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of does it work? Are you treating me well? And do you have a higher purpose? May even have to shift more because of my perception in the marketplace around this category and my ability to access it and really use those pieces. Mm-hmm. 
This is absolutely fascinating. I want to spend just, we have running up on time just a little bit here, uh, Kristen, but I want you to take us through, because I thought this was really interesting as I was perusing the preliminary um, summary of the analysis here. Can you take us through the motion matrix and kind of explain that as part of this very important kind of framework that's uh, a big portion of the survey? I can. It's probably going to be a little challenging for your uh, listeners because they don't have the visual of it. I think what I would like people to understand is that the first thing you want to identify in terms of a brand, Mm -hmm. and we'll just, instead of putting it into matrix, is my brand moving in the direction that I want it to be? Okay. So if if I'm the steward of that brand, is the trajectory where that's going? Is that in alignment with what I want to be? Because different brands may have a perception around where they want to be in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. A insurance company, you know, that is tried and true and have been around for a long time doesn't necessarily want in the in the, the tag that we'd use is to be a disruptor brand. Okay. You know, they're seeing something that is more, we'll say, akin to a utility. Gotcha. Um, mm-hmm. However, somebody that's like a smart home tech would want to be a disruptor Got it. and would want to be going out and, you know, blowing apart a, uh, you know, a vertical and saying, look, we're offering you something that's different. Mm-hmm. So within an industry, you could have brands that we could say that are movers. Mm-hmm. You could have brands that we could say that are incredibly stable and they're sitting in the place and I'm, and I'm happy to be there. Mm-hmm. And so the most important thing, and first and foremost, is to understand where your brand is and if you're happy with the consumer perception of what it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So if we went back and we looked at financial for for a moment, you could look at somebody like Wells Fargo and say, yeah, they may be happy over here, but then we could look at somebody that was a non-traditional lender and they wouldn't be happy sitting in a stable place and they want to be a disruptor and everything Mm. that they're doing is disrupting. Got it. So none of the ways that we would label a brand in the survey matter unless it's not where the brand perceives itself or wants to be in the future. Got it. Then it's important to understand, and then we counsel them how to move. So the quadrants, and again, it's, I, mm-hmm. it, it would take too long on the phone, <laughs> it's less important about like how we got there or where that they're sitting. Mm-hmm. It's more important to understand, is this the place where the brand wants to be? And if not, then how do we move them to be in alignment of where they perceive themselves to be? Very, very cool. How can listeners get access to the full analysis and or report, Kristen? I believe that we have given you a copy of the white paper oh, nice. so that you'll be able to post okay. it and uh, share it for your listeners. Excellent. They can also go to our website, mm-hmm. so we-worldwide.com backslash brands in motion. There is a whole entire section on the site. It's got the white paper. It's got some um, other uh, really interesting pieces, and there's a much deeper dive on the research because there's no way I could explain it in <laughs> 20 minutes about all the different findings. Lots of good stuff. Kristen Flor Perret, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. You're very welcome. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.